Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Grace Point. Uh, for those of you who have not met me, my name is Clement. I am one of the ministry apprentices here. Uh, please join me as we pray and I'll ask God to open up our hearts to receive His Word. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you in various contexts and circumstances. And so, Father, Lord, we do pray that your Word will accomplish what you have willed for it to accomplish today. And may your word pierce through our hearts, transform our affections, and allow us to grow in our love, our desire to depend and obey you for all the days of our lives. For your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. So my wife and I recently watched a show on Netflix called Physical uh, 100. Yeah, a terrible thing for my marriage actually. Uh, It is a reality show that sees a hundred contestants compete in some sort of like physical challenge. And the premise behind that show is to find the ideal human physique, the greatest bod of all. And the last man standing wins. That's the premise of the show. And now what is interesting, and those of you who've watched it know what I'm talking about, was that each member has a cast, a clay replica of their bodies made, and it is in full display for the other contestants and the audiences to see. And these casts of their bodies stay as long as they are in the competition. But what happens when they lose? Well, when they lose, here's what they have to do. They have to go up to the cast, they have to grab a hammer and smash it into pieces. That is what happens when they lose the competition. And if you think about it, it's quite symbolic, eh? In some sense, that replica, that cast, is actually meant to represent how much their body is worth. And by breaking it, it tells them one thing. Your body is not good enough. Not worthy enough to stay in the competition. You're not good enough to stay in. And you know, like, you know, life sometimes feels like that, doesn't it? A endless pursuit of getting into something and staying in. Some of you guys who are high school students here, you will at some point sit an exam that will get you into the course that you want in university. Uh, Many of us will have gone through job interviews trying to convince uh, employers why we're a good fit and why we should be hired into the company. And, you know, some of us who are in relationships would have gone through the dating phase, right? Trying to convince the other person why we're a husband or wife material. Now, most of us do this for practical reasons, you know, like getting a job, going to university, finding a companion. But if we're honest, sometimes the reason why we want to be accepted, why we want to be in, is to prove ourselves. After all, being accepted and rejected, that says something about us, right? Whether or not we're good enough to be accepted, to be in and to stay in. Yet from the Bible passage today, Paul makes a bold claim. In the gospel, we are given a promise. A promise that if we accept it, our casts will not be destroyed and that we can be brought in instead of being cast out. And so we're looking at Romans chapter 1 verses 16 to 17 today and we can see that in these very short verses, it starts as like an opening theme which will be tackled throughout Paul's letter. It's Paul's way of introducing the major points and that we will be looking at it throughout uh, the sermon series. And we'll be looking at three things today. Firstly, we'll be looking at our rejection of the gospel. Secondly, the power of God revealed in the gospel. And thirdly, 
the people who are rescued through the gospel are rejection, the power of God revealed, and the people who are rescued. And we will see that the gospel is God's saving power in which full acceptance is found. The gospel is God's saving power in which full acceptance is found. Come with me to point one. Look with me at verse 16. Verse 16 starts off by saying, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now pause there for a bit. This is a really strange statement of Paul, if you think about it. We've learned from previous sermons that Paul was an apostle sent by God, you know, a servant set apart to preach the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done to save us. But why does Paul feel the need to tell his readers that he's not ashamed? Who were the people that he was trying to convince? Now, the reason may be that some people in Paul's time may have heard of the gospel, but instead of receiving it, they have reacted in shame and they have completely rejected it. And we get a hint from the context, right? Uh, Notice in verse 14, the people that Paul felt obligated to preach to, the Greeks and the non-Greeks, the wise and the foolish. And here's what we learn. Like a lot of ancient societies, ancient Greco-Roman society follows a really strict social order. And to put it simply, there are the people who are in, and there are the people who are out. Now firstly, let's talk about the in crowd, right? These guys are top of the food chain. The scholars, the politicians, the wealthy. The in crowd is usually born into certain families. And so they have access to education, they access to Greek philosophy, and they usually take the most powerful positions in society. Now let's talk about the out crowd. These guys are the bottom of the food chain, yo. Like these uh, slaves, they're foreigners, they're often seen as uneducated, stupid, and these guys are the weakest, most exploited members of society. And the out crowd are usually despised by the in crowd because they don't have what it takes to make it in. And in most cases, to be in, you need to be born right. And so having the power and the influence is the only way that you can look good in society to prove that you are worthy and fully accepted. And that is why people were ashamed of the gospel and rejected. You know, if power and influence is the only thing that allows you to be accepted, the Christian message just doesn't cut it. Do you want to be an important and well-respected member of society? Try doing it by following a belief that tells us to deny ourselves, take up a cross, and follow a founder who was murdered. It's, it's embarrassing. It's shameful, right? And doesn't it sound familiar for us? Even now, many of us desire to be fully accepted. Many people are trying to prove why their caste is here to stay. But the only difference is that to be accepted, to be in, instead of being born right, you need to do right. Regardless of who you are, a student, a worker, or a single person pursuing a partner, you know, sometimes it feels like a bit of an audition, right? You have five minutes to convince me why I should accept you into this school. You have half an hour to convince me why I should hire you for this role. You have one night to convince me why I should date you. A lot of these things sound like audition, and here's the thing. When we're in, it, it's a validation, right? It validates who we are. But when we're out, it feels like a slap in the face. The moment we don't make it, fail that exam, 
fail that interview, mess up that date, it feels like having a cast of ourselves broken right before us. It tells us we're not worthy to be in. And even if you did get accepted, right? Those of you know, that feeling never ends. Never mind being in, you need to keep performing to stay in. You're only as good as your last accomplishment. So what you need to do is to work harder, try harder, so you don't lose your place. That's why for anyone here who's currently hesitant to accept Christianity, you know, I get it. In fact, as someone who is a Christian, I suspect that many of us, like me, can at times be too ashamed to admit that we're Christians. Identifying with Christianity is a one-way ticket to being part of the out crowd. If we don't want to risk losing our jobs, losing our reputation or our popularity amongst our friends or within society, then have nothing to do with the gospel. Because all it does, friends, is paint us in a bad light. All it does is bring shame. So to stay in, Christianity and the gospel needs to stay out. But here's what we need to ask as we come back to the passage, right? Why was Paul not ashamed of the gospel? Because if you think about it, and those of you who read the Bible know this, if anyone has any reason to be ashamed of the gospel, it is him. Before he became a Christian, Paul was top dog Paul. He was part of the in crowd. He has so much going on for him in terms of influence, in terms of power, in terms of prestige. But here, since he came to the faith, the dude is smacked left, right, and center. He is locked up in prison. He is hated by many groups of people. And at times, he lived like a dog on the street. Because of the Christian message, he lost the influence and the power as a Pharisee. And his life seems like a pathetic mess. But why hasn't he rejected the gospel? As we come to our second point, we will see that Paul is not ashamed because the gospel reveals the power to bring us in. Come with me to our second point, the power of God revealed. Read verse 16 with me. 16b says, because it is the power of God that brings salvation. And so here's what we learn. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power to bring salvation. This raises the question, right? What kind of salvation are we talking about? Paul is saying that the gospel provides an answer to our deepest longing for acceptance. The Bible tells us that one day all people, everyone, are going to stand before God and face His judgment. But the gospel contains the power to save us from being unable to prove our acceptance. Instead of being cast out, it has the power to actually bring us in. Wait, hang on. Doesn't salvation have to do with God rescuing us from punishment of sin? Doesn't salvation mean that God forgives and pardons all of our wrongdoings? Now, I want to stress that that is all true. Everyone needs their sins to be forgiven before being accepted Yet there is more to that, more than just simply forgiveness and pardon. Look at verse uh, 17 with me. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Through Paul's letter, we see why the gospel is effective to save. Because it reveals the righteousness of God. What is righteousness? Well, to be sure, it means that God is righteous. God is righteous character, is sure. 
But it also means that it is a perfect record, a status of right standing before God. Let me say that again. Righteousness here it is a perfect record, a status of right standing before God. It is the ultimate stamp of approval, the ultimate spotless performance record. It is a record that tells us that we no longer need to be insecure. We no longer need to fear. Why? Because with the status, we are fully worthy and we are fully accepted. No matter who you are, whether or not you believe in God or not, we, we, we want this, don't we? We want that perfect record, that perfect status. That is where we find the ultimate validation, the ultimate worth. All of us who are on the out, we are looking for a way to be in forever. And through Paul's letter, the Bible makes a massive claim. The gospel offers that. The perfect record that tells us that we are fully worthy and fully accepted. But here's the thing. How, how do we get it, right? So this is something that should cross our minds. Like, how do we get this status? Like, do I need to meet a certain threshold in terms of the things that I've done which are good? Do I need a dance? Do I need a perfect body? Do I need to do charity work, you know, run a marathon? Tell me, right? Instinctively, we ask, what's the catch? Surely to have this perfect record, this ultimate status, one needs to earn it, right? And your instincts will be right. To be accepted before a righteous God, one would need a righteous status. And to earn this perfect status, this person needs to live perfectly. And never mind just perfect in what they do, if that's even possible, but perfection in what they say, what they think, complete moral perfection. And if that's the case, then none of us in this room, let alone the world, can ever hope of ever getting it. Because who can honestly say that they have lived their lives perfectly? That you've never made a false assumption of someone that you never said anything mean or untrue to someone, or like thought bad thoughts, none of us can earn the status. But what if I tell you that this record, this status needs to be earned? Yes, for sure. But it is not you who earns it. Friends, there is only one person who has earned this status. Jesus is the one who is worthy to hold that status. Jesus is the one who lived a sinless life. He is the one who obeyed God completely. His actions, his words, even his thoughts, his record is so squeaky clean, you will be lucky to find even a speck of dirt on it. In all his life as the son of God, Jesus was the only one who was worthy of earning that perfect status. But guess what? The good news is that Jesus not only earned that status, but he graciously gives us to us as though we have earned it. Let me say that again. Jesus not only earned that status, but he graciously gives it to us as though we have earned it. You know, if this was a race, Jesus competed and got first place. But instead of standing on the podium, he takes off his medal and offers to put it on us. Before the heavenly courtroom on his piece of paper that says righteous, he crosses his name to write ours. And on our piece of paper that says guilty, he crosses our names to write his. 
Friends, I want you to sit and think about this. We have no means whatsoever of being accepted into God's presence. No means of being brought in and enjoy being part of God's family. The good news is that even uh, through Christ, we can receive righteousness and stand completely accepted and validated before God. Out of his love for us, Jesus was cast out so that we can be brought in. Jesus was cast out so that we can be brought in. We're not only saved from God's wrath, but we're saved into God's family. And that is the power of the gospel. The power that reveals God's way of salvation by giving people a right standing before him. And as we come to our final point, we'll see the people who are rescued through the gospel. Come with me, come with me to the final point. Look with me back at verse 16. To who does salvation come? The verse reads, Everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. We see here that this is what sets Christianity apart. You know, with the world so focused on inclusivity and diversity, we are lulled into a false sense of belief that we think that there is a, possible, a possibility of having a completely inclusive society. We are tricked into thinking that it is possible to have a completely inclusive society where everyone belongs and no one is out. But if we think carefully, that's impossible. All religions, all belief systems, yes, including Christianity, is actually quite exclusive. But here's the difference. Christianity and the gospel that it proclaims is the only message that is more inclusive in its exclusivity. Because if you think with me for a moment, what's the condition of being in? To be born right or to do right? Verse 17 tells us, to be brought in is to accept the righteousness of God, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. According to the Bible, it's not the smartest, it's not the strongest, it's not the tallest, not the one with the cleanest history, Salvation comes to the one who receives it by faith. Faith, utter dependence on the one who brings salvation by the power of God. So to be saved, we are asked to accept and offer God's righteousness by trusting in him. How are you feeling at this point? You know, some of us may feel like this is a bit too good to be true, right? It may take some time to convince us that this is true. And so if that is you, perfectly understandable, and that's okay. Take some time. Read God's word. Like, mull over it. Meditate on it. But perhaps some of us might think, oh, this is easy, right? It's so easy. You know, all I need to do is accept God's status of righteousness and I'm good. Easy. But friends... If we've actually tried to accept this, we would actually realize that it's way harder than we imagine. Why? Because we honestly do not like it. In fact, we hate it. We hate it because accepting this means says something, uh, saying something about us. Accepting this forces us to admit that there is something wrong with us to begin with. 
you know, like, think about it. Ages ago, I overheard my female friends say that you should never ever buy skincare products as a gift for girls. Why? Because it tells them that you think that there's something wrong with their skin. Right? And recently, at her request, my wife and I received an air fryer as a gift. But this is probably my wife's way of saying, my cooking sucks. Now, all jokes aside, right, there is a sense in which this applies when it comes to accepting the gospel, accepting the righteous standing before God. It means having to admit that there is something wrong with us. It forces us to admit that nothing we do, nothing we can ever do can prove that we are ever good enough. It puts us all, no matter who we are, on equal footing before God. It gives no one a reason to say, I I'm, dude, I'm better than you because, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm in because I'm better than you. I'm in because I'm smarter than you. It gives no one any excuse to say, I am accepted because I am above you. It is so hard to admit that, isn't it? It hurts our pride. It is humiliating to admit that we depend on someone else completely for our acceptance. But friends, I'm guilty of this. And as someone who struggles with accepting this gift, I want to ask that we, for just a moment, lay aside our pride. No matter who you are today, a a Christian who's been at church most of their lives, or perhaps a skeptic who is just exploring Christianity, or maybe a prodigal who has been searching all this time, think about it. You spent years relying on your own efforts, relying on your own ability to do things right, hasn't it been crushing you with the expectations you can't fulfill? Sure, you can maybe temporarily find some sort of validation, but don't you find yourself getting restless once again, tired of having to prove yourself over and over and over? Maybe this is the key that is missing all this time. Perhaps God is calling you today to repent, Repent of your sins? Well, yes, to be sure. But I'm talking about something even more specific. Perhaps God is telling you to repent of your tendency to try and prove your acceptance before him. Let me say that again. God is telling you to repent of your tendency to try and prove your acceptance before him. To repent from being accepted on our own terms and to humbly turn to him in love and trust. Let's think about it again. In ancient societies, in order to be in, you need to be born right. In our present society, in order to be in, you need to do right. The gospel says, to be in, admit that you're not right, turn to him who is right, and trust that he makes you right. Admit that you're not right, turn to him who is right, and trust that he makes you right. This is the truth that you and I can cling on to. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, and neither should we. It is the news that offers us freedom. It frees us from crushing ourselves with the burden of trying to prove us worth and acceptance. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So as we draw to a close, here are some points to ponder, and you'll find this in the back of your bulletins. First point to ponder, 
in what ways do you find validation and acceptance in your own context? For example, at work. It could be through your own work performance or your career progression. At church, maybe it's done through the number of ministries that you're serving in, your leadership status, or wanting to surround yourselves with a certain group of people. At home, maybe it's through your children or the amount of properties that you have invested in or the number of possessions that you have. In what ways do you try to find validation and acceptance in your own context, to look good in front of others, to feel like you are in? Second point to ponder, what barriers and challenges stop you from receiving God's salvation as a free gift? Is it doubt? Is it uncertainty as to whether or not this is too good to be true? And once again, if you want to like, have a chat, you can feel free to speak to me or speak to Pastor Elia or any of the leaders here. But is it pride? Is it pride that stops you from receiving God's salvation as a free gift because you would rather earn your own salvation that you would rather not admit that there's anything wrong with you? If that is you, let me encourage you to put aside your pride and think about what it means to receive God's good gift. Last but not least, in what ways does the gospel free you from trying to prove your acceptance of worth before others. The good news is that through Christ, we have received a righteousness by faith and now stand completely accepted and validated before God. And if we believe, we have received a perfect status, one that is not earned by us, but our Lord Jesus in our place. It means that no matter what the world thinks of you, you don't need to feel insecure. You don't need to fear. You don't need to worry because your worth and acceptance is completely secure. Once you are out, but through the gospel, you can be brought in. Will you believe this? Therefore, church, we do not need to be ashamed of the gospel. We do not need to be fearful of being cast out. For the gospel, it's God's saving power in which full acceptance is found. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Father, we praise you. We praise you, Lord, because, Father, the gospel forces us to admit two things that were more sinful than we ever, ever dared to admit, but yet we're more loved than we can ever dare to hope. And so, Father, thank you, Lord, that you have offered, through your power, you have offered a way to be in. That we can rest assured knowing that by your salvation, we do not have to prove ourselves by either being born right or doing right. But all we are called to do is to trust, to turn to you who is right, to admit that we're not right, and to trust that you make us right. Father, allow us to put aside our pride, to put aside our fear and skepticism and receive this with a humble heart filled with gratitude. In your son's most precious name we pray. Amen.